like to join me in the Word of God, you can open up your Bible to 2 Peter. I'm attempting to uh, continue on in this letter and the opportunity the Lord gives me to preach and uh, just teach um, exegetically or, or straight through this letter, and maybe one day I'll be able to finish it. I'm picking up in uh, um, our, our key text is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, but I'm going to back up a little bit and read from verse 10. And it begins, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor, and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Well, one of the defining moments of Peter's ministry took place on the night of Jesus' betrayal. Jesus, knowing Peter's denial and failure to come later that evening, revealed to Peter this in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Well, Peter indeed did fail. He did have a crisis of faith. He did deny the Lord. He vehemently denied the Lord three times. And Jesus did intercede for Peter. Peter's faith does not fail in the end. He does turn and is resolute in his faith to the end of his days. Peter the Apostle and his life and ministry is determined to strengthen the church. And 
That's why he writes this letter, to strengthen the church. And we talked about that last time. Some of the things we talked about were that in verse 3, Peter tells us God's, uh, God's divine, uh, that, I'm sorry, verse 3, that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In verse 4, that we may become partakers of the divine nature. In verse 8, that as we labor in God's divine power, we are enabled to live effective and fruitful lives for the Lord. And then he tells us to confirm our calling and election. And we do this by practicing our faith, by living it out, and thus ensuring we will never fall. And at the end of our days, his promises is that we confidently and joyfully await the eternal kingdom, certain of our calling and election. Well, he goes on in verses 12 through 15, and he has this theme, remember. If you remember, he said three times to remember. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Just a few observations. Peter is speaking to, he says, those who know the truth. Verse 12. That means this is for us. This letter is, is for the church. And we remember verse or Luke 22. Again, Jesus' direction to Peter is to strengthen the church. In this section, he stresses knowledge. In fact, he says it three times here in verse 2, 3, and 5 in the beginning of the letter and concluding in the end of the letter, chapter 3, verse 18, that we should continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So knowledge in this letter is extremely important to Peter. Second observation is the Lord is going to take Peter home. And what we can take away from this that is encouraging is that when we die, we go to be with the Lord. First Thessalonians tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It also tells us that the death of a believer is never accidental. And so much in our culture today, and as Darren mentioned, if you watch the news, there is, there is absolute fear and panic over death that it is going to overtake us 
at every turn from some disease, some accident. And yes, we do live in the real natural world, but we also live under the sovereign providential control of God. Death for a believer is never accidental. Peter is certainly in this letter referring to knowledge that he will soon die. But Jesus even tells him earlier on, if you remember at the end of John's gospel, and he says to him, Peter, you are going to die and you're going to be led away in such a way that you don't want to go. And he clearly is depicting a crucifixion of uh, death. The day is ordained. And each one of our days is ordained. Death is never out of God's control. It is a result of the fall, but is within God's purpose and plan. And the next thing that reminds us from Peter's coming death is that time is short. We need to remember that time is short. He says it is right to devote himself in the remaining time to reminding us. And we need to be reminded, what are we devoted to in the time that the Lord has given us? Peter encourages us to recall these things. How do we recall these things? We have the New Testament. We have Peter's letter. Peter lives on through his letter. We cannot neglect God's word. Paul, uh, or the writer of Hebrews, I should say, stresses this in chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Folks, as God's people, we cannot grow neglectful of the Word of God. We cannot grow apathetic about the Word of God. Well, going on to verse 16, Peter tells us why this is so weighty. Why is this so important? And he begins by saying for, and that word for, of course, is a transitionary word directing us to what came before. You can almost replace that with because of everything I just shared with you. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The central truth of Peter's message is the second coming of Christ, that it is a fact, it is inevitable, and we need to be prepared. The world needs to be prepared. It is essential to our faith. It can't be secondary. 
And so often we, some of the, the most fundamental and foundational truths of our faith seem to be cataloged once we come to faith in Christ. And we move about life and, 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 and move through and some of these fundamental truths become almost secondary. The second coming of Christ is essential to our faith. We must have a living, earnest, joyful expectation of the return of Christ. And it's worth pondering. What does the return of Christ mean to you today? If this is not our hope, the world becomes our hope. This is the hope of the church, the return of Christ. Listen to the kind of living that Peter is talking about in chapter 1. And if uh, we were to jump back, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This kind of living that Peter is talking about in chapter 1 only comes from a heart set on the return of Christ in all his power and glory, not a heart set on this life and all of its vanity One more bucket list item is really not going to make a difference in this life. 1 John 3, 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The second coming, my next point, the second coming is not based on myth, Peter says. That's why this is so important. And this is at a, at a time where false teachers abounded and, and uh, many belief systems, and they said, this is a myth. This is not true. Jesus is not returning. There is no final judgment. And Peter is combating that erroneous teaching. And he tells us it is not a myth for a number of reasons. One, it is based on eyewitness testimony. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Our faith is not based on mythical tales. Our faith is based on historical observation. And again, Peter stresses throughout this letter, knowledge, knowledge for the Christian. We live in the real world. Verses 2, 3, 5, 8 and chapter 3, verse 18, all stress knowledge. True Christianity does not flourish in ignorance. 
Think about it. What follows Christian mission? What historically has followed Christian mission throughout the world? Hospitals and schools. Virtually all major universities were originally founded by Christians. I I warmly took comfort in some of my uh, family history after reading a book, How the Scots Saved the World and Everything in It. But interestingly enough, in there, uh, somewhere around, I think it was in the uh, uh, 17th century, literacy rates were at their highest in Scotland. And by far. I mean, London was virtually illiterate. Scotland was virtually completely literate. And the reason was, was their commitment to each and every person knowing the scriptures. And so they mandated that every village, every hamlet had a school teacher and every child went through basic education so they could read the scriptures. I can't imagine what our world would be like today if we had that kind of commitment to each and every person reading, meditating, knowing, studying, having deep knowledge about the Word of God. The other interesting observation you can make from this text, and I'll make an interesting statement, Christianity is the most falsifiable of all religions. I know that sounds a little bit odd. Christianity is the most falsifiable of all religions. What I mean by that is you actually have you have events, you have testimony, you have dates, you have places, you have historical context in Christianity. Christianity didn't arise from one guy going into a cave and coming out with golden tablets. Nor did he dig up a book under a tree. These events took place in the open, observable literally by the entire world. It is based on a historically accurate account verified by the testimony of many, many people, including prominent names, Remember back to Luke 23, and this interesting exchange occurred. When Pilate heard this, of course he was the Roman ruler at the time overseeing, he asked, uh, pardon me, backing up, this is uh, uh, after Jesus' arrest and Jesus is being moved from one leader to another, And he goes before Pilate. He asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, this would be the equivalent of of the, the, the governor of the state hearing about an individual 
When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. These events that took place throughout the gospel story were prominent. They were visible. They were known by all. They were historically true events. They were done in very public places, in real historical locations. New Testament documents are part of the accepted canon primarily because when you think of all the letters from uh, uh, the various authors, because they are first-hand accounts, including Peter's. No serious dent has ever been made in the historicity of the scriptures. Sure, there's debates over uh, details, but no serious glaring errors have, have ever surfaced in the historicity of the scriptures. Well, in verse 17 through 18, answers what gave Peter his confidence in the second coming. He says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. There were witnesses of the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just for clarification, that word coming, if you might ask, well, was he referring to the first coming or was he referring to the second coming of Christ? He's definitely, we know, referring to the second coming. This word parousia is, I think, appears 18 times in the New Testament, and every time it is used, including in this letter, it is referring to the second coming. But Peter says they were witnesses. It was not just Peter, remember. It was Peter, it was John, and James that were on that holy mountain and they saw with their eyes, and they heard with their ears. All of their senses were impacted. And what gave him confidence is that he saw Jesus in his future glory. And you might ask, of all things that Peter is going to share, why does he share this Transfiguration. He could have certainly shared about the resurrection. He could have shared about a number of, of um, miracles that took place. But he shares this because of this majestic glory. This is the only time in Scripture in the New Testament uh, that is recorded where Jesus is actually seen in his post-second coming glory. And that is glorious. He is transfigured. I didn't read the uh, actual transfigure account, but uh, it's in three of the Gospels. Feel free to read that later on in the, in the day. 
to get the whole sense of it. But Peter is overwhelmed in this moment and needs to share. This is not a myth, folks. He is not telling me about what he will become. We saw what he is in all of his glory. Paul, in, in both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, um, zeroed in on this second coming in such a powerful way. Uh, I'm not sure why it was such an issue with the Thess- Thessalonica church, but boy, they really got the teaching on this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's speaking of the church, is concerned about those who have died in the faith, but they've died before the Lord returns. And you can imagine the early church, they really were anticipating any day Jesus is going to return. Oh, that we would live in such a way that Jesus is going to return any day. But he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet, of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And he says again in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. That is the awesome glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter saw on that day on the mountain. But why is the second coming of Christ important to remember? It's obviously coming. We're not going to miss it. Why do we remember it? First, because it reminds us to be sober-minded, to be vigilant, and to live with a kingdom purpose. 
And secondly, it anchors us to the resurrection and the hope of the promise of our own resurrection and glorification. 1 John 3, 2-3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We need to remember the second coming of Christ. We need to eagerly, joyfully live lives in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. You know, and I would say to the believers here, do you, do you yearn for the suffering of this life to be over? Are you anxious for the Lord's return? I am. Do you ever ask, why doesn't Jesus return and end all this pain and suffering? What is he waiting for? That's actually the biggest question in in the secular world. Why doesn't Jesus end all the pain and suffering right now? Many people think that's proof of God's non-existence. A real God would come and fix it all, wouldn't he? He would judge all the bad people. The problem is we're all the bad people. We all want to put the other guy in that judgment camp, but not ourselves. Well, Peter tells us, and we will get to this later, in chapter 3, why he does delay. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God delays for those who will accept him. Repent, receive salvation. He is patient, he is kind, he is merciful. If you doubt the gospel story, I declare to you it's true. I have a thousand personal reasons why I know it to be true, but even without those personal reasons, the cumulative weight of the historical record, witnesses, events, the vast testimony of the Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus Christ today far outweighs any doubt. The Bible says Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead. It also says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. I would plead with you today, if you doubt, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, call out to him. God, give me the faith to believe. Well, before we close in prayer, I wanted to uh, just mention 
if you, if you receive our email for the missions update, um, one of our supported mission agencies, Sola Gracia, headed up by Nanilo Sanchez, sent us an email a week and a half ago, and one of the missionaries that they support and send into uh, some of the most dangerous and remote areas of the Philippines was in his study, preparing for a Bible study, and someone came in through a back door and shot him in the head and, and killed him. And he's a, he's a dad, a young guy of uh, a family, I think of, of uh, two. And it was such a stark reminder of the, the, the weightiness of the battle that the, that the Christian life represents. We've experienced so little of that, if any, and and uh, um, so as, as you go about your week, I just encourage you to remember uh, Pastor Tange in the Philippines and to be praying for his family. Well, if you join with me in prayer, Father, thank you for this letter. Thank you for your divine inspiration as you led Peter to pen this letter to the church. Thank you that you are the one that causes Peter to be faithful, to endure, to persevere. And you promise that we will persevere and endure also. Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, none shall I lose. Father, if there's anyone in here that still doubts, Father, I pray you would help their unbelief. I pray that they would see the gravity of the moment. Now is the day of salvation and that they would invite you into their life. Father, make alive what is dead. Bring to life the dead soul, the dead spirit, and give it life by your spirit. Bless this week, we pray. May these truths fill our hearts throughout the week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.